it is good to see all of you. Can we give the band a hand? What a special occasion for us. Three years as a church today. And a celebration of all God has done in those three years. For those of you that do not know me, my name is Justin. I am the pastor here, and I'm glad that all of you have come to celebrate what God has done, is doing, will do, is going to continue to do. I'm happy and excited to preach today. You know, I was reflecting on the last three years, and it is pretty crazy um, what God has done. I'm going to just be doing semicircles the whole time. I hope you all are cool with that. <laughs> I don't want anybody to feel left out, although you got my good side, my profile on this side, so be blessed today. Uh, we're going to be speaking from Acts chapter 22, verses 6 to 11, but just as I've been thinking about what God has done over the last three years, it's pretty crazy that we ended up where we are today. I'll explain. Three years ago, uh, we were just finishing our preview services, and if you were here for that, then you know what we were doing during our preview services is we were meeting once a month as a church. And in between, we were meeting in my home on Sundays and praying and going through scripture for the three weeks in between. Um, and we had about seven to ten people that were coming to my house uh, for that time. And we had maybe 50, 60 people that were coming once a month during that time. And to think this anniversary service is we're meeting after our one month hiatus, those three weeks, but we didn't meet in one home. We met in 10 homes, and we didn't meet with seven to 10 people. We met with over 100 people, and today we have probably over 200 people with us. That is something to celebrate. And I've kind of just been laughing with God. We've been doing a lot of that over the last month because, uh, you know, as Scripture says, man makes plans and God laughs. And so we've been making a lot of plans for 2020, and little did I know God was up there laughing at me because he was like, nah, I got something better. And what you're going to go through is going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to laugh about that, me and him. But... I just don't think it's coincidence of, of the moment that we're in right now. And, and to be able to see what God has done over three years is honestly a miracle. You know, this is not normal, what you see around you. Uh, what we have been doing over the last few weeks has not only been God-breathed, but has brought us closer together as a church. I've seen people use gifts that I did not know that you had and trust me, I'm keeping my eye on every Insta story that I see because I'm like, okay, I see you play that instrument. I see you can serve like that. I see you speak like that. I see that you greet like that. Okay, I got my eyes on you. But to see the body rise up in the way that it has and to come together has honestly been nothing short than a miracle. I can tell you honestly, pastors have called me and said, Justin, 
our church would have closed down. But to see what God is doing through your church is amazing. And I'm praising God that we are a testimony to the body at large. This is a new beginning for our church. I'm convinced of it. You know, as we were planning to settle down in the way that we were going, God said, no, we're starting a new thing. And I'm like, God, we just started a new thing three years ago. <laughs> this is a new, new thing. Because what God has for us wasn't going to be contained in what we were doing currently, but required something to stretch us and to mold us into something new. Today's sermon is one that's been on my heart for quite some time. You know, the last few weeks as we've processed and prayed through what God is doing, this passage of scripture keeps coming to mind, and I wanted to preach on it today. In Acts 22, what happens is Paul begins to preach a message, but he preaches a message to a special group of people. See, he goes back to Jerusalem, and he has been causing a ruckus everywhere he has been going, and the Jews were getting really, really upset with him because every city that he went to, he could not just sit on his hands. He would begin to preach the gospel first in the synagogues to the Jews, then when they kicked him out to the Gentiles in the streets, and he would plant house churches all around the Roman Empire doing this. And while he was doing this, he would get kicked out of city after city after city. And so he goes to Jerusalem, and some of the Jews that rioted and kicked him out of the cities around the empire saw him there, and they said, hey, that's the guy. We kicked him out in whatever city they were from, and look at him. He's preaching again. We missed him last time. Let's get him this time. So they get the Roman guard. They arrest him, and they throw him in prison, and then Paul talks to the Roman guard. He's like, my man, my mans. <laughs> Hold up one second. I got something to say. Don't do me dirty like this and, and not let me talk. And so the Roman guard's like, all right, I'll let you talk. So he gets up, and Paul begins to preach to the very people that have imprisoned him. And in that sermon, he shares his testimony, and that's what we're going to talk about today. In Acts chapter 22, verse 6, we tried to make it so that everybody can see the TVs, but I realized with glares and poles, that's almost impossible. So you can either listen to my beautiful voice or pull out your phone and... Thank you. <laughs> You're closer than normal, right? <laughs> I like it. But in verse 6... Remember, Paul is preaching and he's sharing his testimony here. He says, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Before Paul became Paul, he was Saul. God changed his name. And I answered, said Paul, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. 
And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. There are two questions that Paul asks here that I want us to talk about today. Two very important questions that should define our Christian walk. The first question that he asks is, who are you, Lord? To know who the Savior of the universe is. The second question he asks is, what shall I do, Lord? See, Paul, when he met Jesus, did not ask some of these questions that I think may be floating around the room a lot. What is my purpose, God? He didn't ask, where's all the blessing at, Jesus? He didn't say, how do I reach enlightenment? These two questions are the two questions that should define our walk with God. The first question is this, who are you, Lord? The question of who Jesus is will radically change our lives. I remember when I was an atheist, many of you know my story of when I was a teenager, grew up as a PK, but as every PK does, I rebelled. I was being, you know, just another statistic PK and went down the road of atheism. And in that road, I went to Ohio because I realized the question of God is important enough that it would define the trajectory of my life, that if God was real or not, that would be the question that if answered would be the thing that defined everything else in my life. And so I decided to get out of the city and go to Ohio and see what the answer of that question was. And so I went to live with my uncle. And for the first six months, I prayed one prayer. God, I want to know you. God, I want to know you. I prayed this prayer fervently every morning. I prayed it. I went to Bible school every day in Bible school. I was filled with the Holy Ghost, so I, I was praying in tongues, and I was deeply longing so much to pray for it that the French students in class said that I was praying that very same prayer in French because they would hear me from the room across. This question of who is Jesus is the first question that we need to ask ourselves because it is the question that will define our very lives. It is the question that transforms and changes everything about us. Knowing Jesus is not a knowledge, you know, that just updates my internal Wikipedia. It's not a, a database update. It's not an update that, you know, every Sunday, all right, let's update the firmware. Let's get this going. The knowledge of God alters the very course of our lives. See, after this encounter where Jesus reveals himself to Paul, Paul goes away to Arabia, which at that time is just east of the Jordan River. And he spends a few years where he probably sat and pondered on this Jesus who met him. And as he pondered about Jesus, most likely he began to form theology Theology that we read about today because as he wrote to the different house churches that he helped start, he fleshed out this theology and shared about Jesus, the one that he had met and who had changed his life. See, the, the writings of Paul over the last month have a total new meaning to me. 
as I think of how we gathered in the different homes and how to each home I would write or give a different update or I'm blessed and praying for each home differently. Paul, in the same way, did that. And as he did that, he would reveal a little bit about Jesus in each one. This Jesus that when he asked, who are you, was revealed to him. And then he searched the scriptures to have revelation of who God was. See, learning about Jesus should change our lives as we encounter him. We cannot be the same if we encounter the living Christ. Ephesians 2.20 says that Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. Galatians, when he wrote to the Galatians in 5.1, it says, Jesus is the one who sets us free. When he wrote to the church in Philippi in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Through Jesus we receive the righteousness of God. To the church in Colossae in chapter 1, he writes one of the most poetic verses in all of the New Testament. He says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. When Paul asked that question, who are you, Lord? And Jesus revealed himself to him. That was a moment that changed his life but a lifetime of unpacking who Jesus is and transformation for Paul. And we read about the journey of Paul through the letters to the house churches that he wrote to because he reveals deeper and deeper knowledge about Jesus. And his prayer is that the same knowledge that transformed his life would then transform the lives of everybody that he was writing to. Right? The, the understanding that Jesus is the one who brings freedom. That New York City, that this building, this place was made by him and through him. That the air that we breathe is held by his majesty. That he is preeminent in all things. That there is no pastor that is head of the church. There is Jesus himself that is head of the church. See, the revelation of Jesus changed Paul's life. And should change our life, honestly. And as we learn about him more and more in our life, it should continue to transform and change our hearts. See, years later, Paul reflects on knowing Jesus. When he writes to the church in the Philippians, in Philippi, and he has no regret about his life. His first question that he asked was still the most important one in his life. He says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, or a better translation is feces, in order that I may gain Christ. See, everything else was considered excrement to Paul in the knowledge in comparison of knowing Jesus. When we ask the question of who Jesus is, it should change us in such a dynamic way that everything else around us in our life, every question that we have asked, every encounter that we have had should seem dull in comparison with the risen Lord. And if it isn't, then we have to ask ourselves, have we truly encountered Jesus, the one who rose from the dead? See, the second question that is asked, what shall I do, Lord, is the natural progression of the first. We cannot fathom to ask the second before we first fully ask the first question. See, when you find out who Jesus is, you realize I will do and go anywhere he tells me. So often in today's Christianity, part two is left out. We are content to read about Jesus. We are content to sing about him. We are content to hear about him on Sunday, but never follow him in our lives. Paul is telling Jesus here, I am yours. Send me where you will. Do with me what you want. He calls him Lord. Do you understand the, the depth of what that means? A Lord in the Roman Empire was not somebody that you ever said no to. This person had power over you. A Lord was somebody that could command you to tell you to do what you want. Paul is, is saying, what do you want me to do, Lord? I am yours. Send me where you will. Do with me what you want. And this question may sound nice. But if you understand the life of Paul, you realize the gravity of what Paul was asking here. See, this did not lead Paul to a life of luxury and comfort. In fact, it led Paul into the complete opposite. Later on, we get to read about Paul when he writes to the Corinthian church. For the second time, he tells them. And this is why sometimes I just read Paul and I'm just like, this guy is a gangster. Because anybody tries arguing with him. You know, he starts off his letter to the Corinthians. He says, listen, the kingdom of God is not about words, but it deals with itself in power. And if you want, I'll come to you and I'll show you true power. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he says this about the life that Christ led him into. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments. Listen to the things that Paul goes through. With countless beatings and often near death. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Can you imagine? Adrift at sea, that means his ship fell apart and he had a log that he was floating around in for a night and a day. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Can you imagine this man drifting at sea as he was shipwrecked, thinking about the saved people in the different churches that he wanted to still go preach to? The anxiety of God, I know I'm not supposed to die here because I still have a message in my heart that needs to be released in this city and in that city. Going through all of that with the, with the stress of saying, man, I have the gospel still to be preached. If you thought your life was hard, read this and ask yourself, have I been stoned? Man, they didn't throw pebbles at you when you were stoned back then. They got the big rocks. And they would make sure that it hurt because to be stoned was to be killed. As I asked myself and I reflected on God, it's been hard. Y'all heard my last message. It was hard. It's been hard. I read this, and I say, all right. Honestly, it was harder for Paul. This dude was hungry. He was left without clothes sometimes, cold, beaten on more occasions, in dangers from friends and foe alike. The only thing that I can say in response to this is God forgive me for the ways that I thought following you and your will entitled me to an easy life. I'm telling you, there's been many times where I say, God, why are you doing this to me? I, I serve the God of the universe. You'd think it would be a little bit easier. You'd think this road right here on earth would be wide and paved with gold, but no, he says it's narrow and hard. You think it would be better. But I have to ask myself as I reflect on this scripture for forgiveness from God because I have too often taken my walk with God as an entitlement for an easy life. See, when you ask that question, what do you want me to do, Lord? Don't think that that means that, all right, I live that billionaire life for you. I can do that. I can live that loft life for you. I can do that. I can live that yacht life. I got that under control. When hardship comes, know that you're in good company. Company of Jesus and company of Paul. See, I, when I asked that question, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know that later down the line I would give up my finances. I would give up my comfort. I would give up the eases of life for the kingdom of God. Because 
asking Jesus and saying, Jesus, wherever you want me to go, I'm going to go. I'm there for it. I'm with it. I'm here. I didn't realize what that meant for my life. That it was not going to be an easy road. It wasn't going to be a road. Yes, scripture says, do not be anxious, but humanity is anxious about everything. Even Paul dealt with his anxiety over the church. Paul went through hell on earth. And the more hell that you are going through, maybe the more that God is shaping you and working through you. See, still after all of that, do you know that Philippians was written years later after Paul wrote what he wrote in 2 Corinthians? Do you know that Paul wasn't at the end of his life? He actually went through even more trauma. He didn't even get to list all the things that happened here, including and up to his martyrdom. But years later, after writing about all the things that he had been through, he wrote those words that we read in Philippians 3.8, and we're going to read them again because I hope it takes on new meaning for you. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as dung, in order that I may gain Christ. Even after all that Paul went through, he still was able to write those words to the church. Saying, you know what, after everything I've been through, after everything that happened to me, I count everything as nothing. And to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, not only was it worth it, but it was better than anything I could have ever imagined. When you read the life of Paul, he continued to do what he did for two reasons, telling people about Jesus so that they can experience Jesus' power just as he did. He could not keep it in himself. And the second reason was because he had no choice but to follow wherever God wanted him to go. When he experienced the power of Jesus Christ, it did not matter where he went. It did not matter how many times his ship was wrecked, how many times he was taken and beaten with rods, with rocks, with fists, with spits, with words. It did not matter. What mattered was following Jesus because that was far surpassing everything that anything could ever offer him in this world. Any comfort, any life, any money, any security, none of that was worth it. In the eyes of knowing Jesus. As the disciples said to Jesus when he said, will you guys leave me too? They said, where else would we go, Lord? Where else would we go? When you encounter Jesus, when you ask that question, who are you? And Jesus reveals himself to you. You realize that there is nowhere else that you can go. Your friends may mock you. You may go through hardship, you may suffer, you may experience loss, but when the world will ask, when Jesus may ask, will you leave me too? The only answer that someone who has truly encountered Jesus could possibly say to that is where else would we go, Lord? 
There's nowhere else after we experienced your majesty, after we experienced your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Where else can we go? There is nothing. There is no one that can do that. I used to tell people, I'm, I don't preach to get bonus points with God. There are a lot of other things I could have did with my life. There are a lot of other jobs that I could have had. But there is only one thing that I have seen that has mattered over and over and over again, and that is saying yes to Jesus, no matter the cost, no matter the hardship, no matter the pain, no matter the suffering, because the blessing of knowing Jesus far outweighs anything that this world can throw at us. And even if they throw death at us, Jesus says, whom shall you fear? Shall you fear the one that can only kill your body or will you fear the one who can kill the soul? Sign me up for Jesus because, yeah, you may take the body, but guess what? You will never take my eternity. And an eternity with Jesus is an eternity I want as soon as possible. God will call you to do hard things. There is no doubt about it. Do not rob yourselves of what you will find to be the most beautiful decision you will ever make because it was hard. We will be able to look back. Maybe some of you here can look back the last 20, 30, 40 years. And you say, I've been through the ringer. Maybe you can write just like Paul did all the garbage that you have gone through in this world, that the enemy has thrown at you, that friends have thrown at you, that family has thrown at you. But you will be able to say, what I have found was worth it, was better than anything and everything else compared to Jesus. Nothing. It is all, as Paul says, it is all dung. It is garbage. It is worthless. It is worse than garbage. Man, I'll take a bag of garbage and I'll throw it to the street, but don't, don't ask me to do that about your stuff. That's how, as Paul's saying, everything is that. That when you go into the empty train station and the, the train cart and you wonder, why is this train the way it is? And you see somebody left a little present on the floor of the subway cart and you run out. Paul is saying, everything is like that. Keep me away from it. Get me out of that cart. Because if it tries for a moment to compare itself to Jesus, I'm going to run. Church, God has called us collectively to be in a hard place. This is going to have implications for us individually. This has implications for us corporately. But two things keep coming up over and over again, no matter who I pray with and how I'm praying. And that is God is inviting us to know him more, to ask that question, who are you, Lord? And God is inviting us to follow him with deeper obedience, to ask that question, what shall I do, Lord? To follow him into the unknown and experience the blessing of the will of God through uncomfortable and maybe even hard situations. Don't miss out on this season because of the discomfort of being in somebody's home. I'll be honest with you. 
because what God is doing in us now is going to form and shape us as a church like nothing else could. When I walked in this morning, I saw more volunteers than I have ever seen in our church. Over the last few weeks, I have heard more stories of God's goodness and provision and power than I have ever heard in our church. I've seen more people teach with clarity than I have ever seen in the history of our church. I've seen more people worship than I have ever seen in the history of our church. God is doing something right now. And we need to ask those questions. God, reveal to me more of you that I may write to others and reveal what God has revealed to me about Jesus that may set them free as well. And God, lead me into obedience, no matter the discomfort, no matter the hardships. God, take me where you want to take me. I'm going to ask you to stand. Have you encountered the true Jesus whose knowledge will change your life? If you haven't, now is an opportunity for you to ask Jesus. Paul didn't respond to an altar call. There was nobody there with him, but Jesus came and revealed himself. Right where you are, you can begin to pray that prayer, God, who are you? And I can tell you, just as with me, sometimes it happens in an instant, like it did with Paul. Sometimes it happens over six months, like it did with me. Maybe you're a little bit more stubborn. Maybe it's going to take more than a day. But ask with persistence, who are you, Lord? Because Jesus is faithful to reveal himself to those who long for him. Have you asked that second question, what shall I do, Lord? And are you prepared to follow wherever it leads? As we worship over the next few moments, ponder those questions. Ponder the implication of asking those questions with fervency and with honesty. And what that will mean for your life. Father, I thank you right now for every way that your spirit is moving and speaking over our hearts and over our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer to you, that as we ponder and we ask those questions, not only corporately as a church, but individually right now, Lord, that your spirit would come. That you would reveal yourself to us in new ways and that you would give us strength to say yes to you. That whatever hardship, whatever suffering, whatever pain the enemy has used to say forget about Jesus, he has walked away from you. Lord, that we would say no matter what hardship, pain, or suffering, I don't care enemy, I don't care flesh, I will follow Jesus to wherever he leads me and wherever I go. May we remember the words of Paul and realize that compared to what you put him through, we live in deep comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.